All right, guys. So let's get right to it. Uh, we're going to read First Thessalonians. Most likely, we're going to read the whole thing. Um, it doesn't take 30 minutes or it shouldn't take 30 minutes to read um, that scripture. Uh, but I want you guys to read along with me. We're going to pray to get started and we're going to invite the presence of God. We're going to invite the spirit of God in this moment to speak to us. And then afterwards, we're just going to chat. We're just going to chat and I'll just rant about whatever it is that the Lord is inspiring me this morning to speak into. Um, another thing that I, I feel compelled to do because I do sense uh, uh, the presence of God, even in this moment, I I, I want us to be prayerful. I want us to be prayerful. Um, this may be a time of prayer for you guys as well. Uh, so I want to, I'm afforded a little bit more time. So we'll see what the time leads. We'll, we'll see what the time affords us. But um, I want to spend time in prayer with you all. Um, just being led by the spirit um, to pray for you. Um, so prayerfully, this is what I'm going to do. As I'm reading this, I'm asking three questions. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? This is how we ought to read scripture. We ought to read scripture from a meditational uh, posture, not as a textbook or a Bible study. Faith isn't intellectual. Faith is spiritual. The intellectual undergirds the spiritual, but faith is spiritual. And so um, we're going to pray and ask the Lord what he has to say to us today. And then we're going to get right into the scripture. Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, I already um, am aware of your presence right now. Lord, abundantly aware, Lord, that there's something that you want to speak to me as I read this. And Lord, that you want to speak to your people as I read this. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, speak to us, encourage us today, Lord. Let us leave, Lord, encouraged. Let us leave renewed. Let us leave restored. Let us leave reborn. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Father. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'll read it and you guys can read along with me and ask those three questions prayerfully as I'm reading this, okay? All right, let's do it. Hmm. Thank you, God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us to the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need anything, need to say anything. 
For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither any time did we use flattering words, or as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither, sorry, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as nursing mother, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also of our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, I also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and persecuted us and they did not please God and are contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost but we brethren having been taken away from you for a short time in presence not in heart endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire therefore we wanted to come to you even I Paul time and again but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Hmm. Therefore, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, Therefore, when we could not longer endure, we thought it would be good to be left in Athens alone. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that you are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent 
to know I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Verse six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us some good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. For we now live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your, for your sake before our God. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and perfect what is lacking in faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make your increase and abound in, sorry, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. First Thessalonians 4. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know that the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust, that the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God has also given us his spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all brethren who are in all Macedonia. All brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Hmm. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. 
For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pangs upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other, edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, This, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. <clears throat> wow. Um, so if you are here uh, for the first time, if this is a new thing for you, you're like, what's going on right now? What am I listening to? What am I watching? This is what we call the read and rant. And the read and rant is essentially me spending 20 to 30 minutes reading through scripture and then ranting, just sharing whatever the Lord is speaking to me in this moment. As I'm praying, I'm asking three questions. I'm asking, what is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? And when I say me, I'm talking about me personally. But you would, you would ask that question for yourself personally. What is God revealing concerning you? If you've noticed, we got through 1 Thessalonians in about 15 minutes. We read through an entire letter, an entire book um, of the Bible in 15 minutes. Okay. 
Um, and it's, it's amazing uh, to see how much we have gotten through together. Um, we've done this now for nine weeks. Today's our, the end of our ninth week. So we, we start our 10th week next week. And we've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And we just read 1 Thessalonians. On Monday, we're going to be reading 2 Thessalonians. We can get through a lot of scripture, fam. We're, 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 we're closing out on the New Testament. Uh, I hope you guys see that. We're closing out on the New Testament. And this should be an encouragement to you. That um, did somebody just write? I'm sorry if I if I pause real quick, but did somebody just write that they need healing? That they're praying for healing. I woke up this morning saying we're going to need to pray for physical healing. So we're going to do that. We're going to pray for healing. Um, and so I want to share a few thoughts with you. And after I've shared these thoughts, we're going to close out in prayer. With the rest of the time. But I spent about 30 minutes ranting after my read. Now, if you're like, man, I wish I would have caught this. I wish I would have. Man, I, like, ugh. I wish I'd known about this. That's that's fine. We have a Facebook group. It's called The Font Everywhere. And The Font Everywhere is really a place for you to be community. It's a place for you to ask questions. It's a place for you to pray. It's a place for you to catch up on the read and rants that you miss. Because I'm also broadcasting this right now on our Facebook group. And I got folks right now who are live on Facebook with me. I got Ryan on there. I got Sheldon on there. I got Patty on there. Good to see you guys um, who are live right now on Facebook as well. And um, and it's saved. So once I broadcast it, I save it. So that way, if anybody misses anything, they can always go back and catch it on the Facebook group. It's a private group right now. I'm going to eventually, we're going to eventually make a full public announcement, but it is uh, right now. I'm only really sharing it with, it's only a word of mouth and people sharing it with each other and telling other people about it. And it's, uh, it's me sharing it with you on, on, uh, on TikTok. But eventually we're going to, I believe we're officially like publicly announcing our Facebook group on Easter Sunday, but we're already, well on our way towards 500 uh, members already, which is really cool uh, that we have just a community of people coming together uh, in faith to encourage each other. So if you're on there, encourage somebody, pray for somebody, ask for prayer requests. If you're a prayer warrior, if you need prayer, you know, say, hey, I need you guys to I need I need prayer for this particular thing for X, Y and Z, whatever it is. Uh, we have a community there that wants that want to pray with you, and it's pretty cool. I know Pastor Scott's on there as well, um, Pastor Ray. I know you're on there as well. But we actually have pastors who uh, are ministers from different places around the country who are coming together. This is the church, guys, um, and it's it's just incredible that we have this amazing community coming together uh, to um, to minister. Man, G, like, I'm glad you're a part of the font as well, man. I'm so glad you're a part of what we're doing. The font is up. We are the font. Um, short, short. People have wondered where the font comes from. So let me just say that real quick. And then um, I want to prayerfully think, uh, talk through where the spirit is leading me today. Uh, the font means spiritual fountain for those who don't know. 
Um, the reason why we use the term the font, the font means spiritual fountain. It comes out of John chapter four, when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman and he says to the Samaritan woman, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I shall give you, you will never thirst. Rather, it will become in you a fountain springing up waters into everlasting life. And so the, the name, the font comes out of that verse that we have all been called to be spiritual fountains. And that's the heart of the font. The heart of the font is not to make people become part of a group or a club who just come and join and just receive, but rather we're here to empower every believer, every Christian to become spiritual fountains themselves. We believe every believer in Jesus Christ who has the spirit of God, who has the water of the spirit is a fountain that springs up into everlasting life. So our heart is to empower you. Okay. Our heart is to empower you. So if you're a part of the font, you can be a part. You are the font. That's what we believe. We believe you are the font. Um, and that's been our vision. And that's why we're, we, we don't have a location. We are a people. The church of God is not a location. It is a people. And so um, it's a people empowered by the spirit of God to bring renewal to their spheres of influence. So the font is a community of groups on mission. And, and so we're in our early phases. We're in our, our nascence right now. We're just believing that God's doing something incredible through this. Um, and so for me, my, you know, this vision that God has given me and, and that I've imparted on, on our team, we just want to send people out, empower people, send people out to be the church and to move in the power of God. And so uh, people have always wondered, where's your church located? Or I want to be a part of your church. And, you know, people always ask this and I tell them my church is everywhere. <laughs> my church is everywhere. Uh, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And so for me, I'm just a coach. I'm just here to train, to send people out, um, to go and do the work. So it's really cool when I see uh, pastors who are on the phone everywhere and and are sharing in, in their insight and, and seeing other, you know, people who are equipped and now want to equip others. Man, I, I just love that. Um, we're not called to make believers dependent on us as pastors and as ministers. We're not called to be the mediator between God. That's not who we are. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. We are under shepherds of Jesus Christ, just called to equip you and to empower you to go and to do the work of ministry wherever you are in your sphere of influence. I'll say one more thing, because y'all got me on a vision thing right now. I don't know how I got here, but I'll say one more thing is you don't need to be a pastor to be a minister. You don't need to be a prophet to be a minister. You don't need to be an evangelist to be a minister. You don't need to be a teacher to be a minister. Some people say, well, I'm going to leave my job so I can get into ministry. No, your job is your ministry. Your, your, your ministry is your calling. And for some of you, your ministry is baking bread. For others, your ministry is working in the hospital. For others, your ministry is being a nurse. Your, for others, your ministry is to come up with fresh new ideas and how we can create and co-create with God. For you, your ministry may be to, to paint or to be a videographer. It is all ministry, all to bring glory to Christ. And so, so we as pastors, our job is to equip you and to empower you to do the work of ministry wherever your sphere of influence is. That's what we are called to do. Okay. And that's what I believe. And for, and so for us, 
Our calling in the font, we're not about making you dependent on the font. We're here to equip you, to empower you to go and do the work of ministry. We read Ephesians, right? And he said, and he called some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Why? For the sake of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Every member of the body of Christ is a minister. Every member of the body of Christ is a minister. It's not the man with the cloth. It's not the guy on the pulpit. It's not the guy on the stage. Every member of the church is a minister. So you have to understand now, if I see you as a minister, then I can't approach you the same way. You're not this, this dependent person. I can't approach you the same way. I'm here to empower you, to equip you, to, to, to train you and to teach you and to instruct you in order to go do what you were called to do, which is do ministry in your spheres of influence. One last thing and then I'm done. Um, and then I'll go into what the scripture uh, is saying for us today. The other thing is, is you can do more ministry than any pastor. Let me say that once one more time. You can do more ministry than any pastor. How do I know that? We as pastors, for, for most pastors at least, most pastors only see a couple hundred people for about an hour a week. Okay? We may meet with a couple of people here and there throughout the week, but we see a couple hundred people for about an hour a week. You see hundreds of people every day of the week hundreds of people every day you work at mcdonald's and you catch this if you work at mcdonald's you see more people than the average pastor sees you see more people in a day than the average pastor sees in a week You see more people in a day than the average pastor sees in a week. If you're a movie producer, you influence millions of people. If we were just strategic, we would learn to teach those who are outside of uh, uh, those to, you know, who, who come to the church to look outside of the church. Ministry is not in the bowl. It's, it's not in the aquarium. Ministry is an ocean. And sometimes we try to put church in this box when the church of God is the people. And so that's really our heart at the font. Our heart is to empower you to, to go and do the work of ministry because we believe that you are the font. We believe you are the font. You work from home. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan works from home. I got you, bro. But even then, you get to you get to talk to. You see, I'm trying to I'm trying to justify it now. But even then, right? There's so many people that you can go and reach that I would never reach. I would never reach. There are people that you can reach. So we need to stop inviting people to come to our church to come to Jesus. We need to bring Jesus to people. Okay, we need to bring Jesus to people. We need to stop inviting people. Hey. Come to my church and let my pastor bring you to Jesus. Rather, we as pastors should be empowering you and equipping you to go and bring people to Jesus. See that? See that? Um, and so, and so, not to say you can't invite people to your church. I'm not saying that. But the paradigm needs to change because what we see here in the body of Christ, um, what we see here in the expression of the church, 
What we see here is we see a people who are, while they are um, under political oppression, um, they're social pariahs. They can't find, they, they, don't, they don't have a church that they, they can just go to on Sunday. They were just people who were going about and moving in the power of God. So this is what, I'm, what comes to mind as I'm reading this. And, and I hope uh, this is encouraging to you. Um, Paul's letter, if, if you recall, uh, maybe it was like two weeks ago now, three weeks, maybe three weeks now. Wow, it's been about three weeks. When we were reading through the book of Acts, and you guys knew as I was reading through the book of Acts, I got I got lit. I was lit up reading through the book of Acts because the book of Acts does that to me. Because I see a church that then that I want to see today. Oh, not the church we see in in America right now. This this institutionalized, colonialized Christianity. Um and so I talked a lot about that and I had a lot of passion in regards to that. And, and, and if you recall in Acts chapter 17, Paul is bouncing from city to city and he goes to a city called Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And in Thessalonica, uh, Paul, we, we see it in Acts chapter 17, he goes into Thessalonica, he reasons with the Jews in the synagogues, Greeks come along with him. And then eventually, Paul ends up at the pinnacle of, of cultural thinking in, in Aeropagus, where he gives, this, uh, he gives this rousing speech in defense to his faith. He gives this rousing speech in defense to his faith. And then, of course, what, we've, what we come to realize shortly after is, is under the pressure, the social pressure, the cultural pressure, the political pressure, he had to take off and go to Athens. So Paul takes off and he goes to Athens and he doesn't stay in Thessalonica for long. <clears throat> I'm sharing this with you. This is important. I'm sharing this with you because Thessalonica um, is a port city. Thessalonica is an influential city. Um, it's a capital city in Macedonia. Thessalonica is um, it's a city of influence. And of course, Paul being an apostle is always strategic. He, he didn't go to the suburbs. He went to the cities. That's another conversation for another day. Paul went to the city centers because the city centers were the places of cultural and economic influence. And Thessalonica was one of them. But Thessalonica was a... Hey, Sherry, so glad you're here as well. But, but Thessalonica was um, um, a, a, a pagan city. Um, it was a city that, um, you know, they, 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 they believed in the multiplicity of gods and, and um, they were polytheistic and um, very carnal. There's a lot of pagan expressions of Christianity, all this other, you know, there's a lot going on in Thessalonica. Paul goes in there, reasons for a couple of days, because there's still synagogues in there. And that's another conversation for another day, because um, the synagogues, notice at the beginning of Acts 17, the synagogues were there. Paul went to the synagogues. 
And yet, while he went to the synagogues where people went into these little boxes to pray to God, the city wasn't changing. The city wasn't changing. I I hope you guys catch where I'm going with this. Is Paul goes into these rooms to engage in discourses, to break them out of the room so that they can go into the city. Because real change in a city does not happen in boxes. Real change in a city doesn't happen inside of rooms. We are not going to change the world by coming to church on Sunday. We're not changing the world by um, engaging in weekly Bible studies inside of our rooms. The travesty in America is that we have conformed Christianity to a once a day activity. Sorry, a once a week activity where all the Christians come into boxes and we sit around and we pray, we worship, we get three songs, a sermon, and we leave. But there's no demonstration of power. We leave and, you know, we don't want to offend anyone and and we don't want to you know, we just let's just be let's just be a little safe Christians. And we're just going to just, you know, we're just going to we're going to go in our boxes. We're going to pray because this is a safe place to do it. And then after that, we're all going to just go back to our 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 respective places, you know, our homes and and, you know, in our our jobs and in our workplaces. And for some, our rooms with our <laughs> as you work at home in our Zoom meetings, because a lot of us work at home now. And so we're just going to go all go to our little respective places. And um, and we're just going to do this again next week. And we wonder why no one takes the church seriously anymore. Because we're in our synagogues, but the city doesn't look like the body the city doesn't look like the body and yet Paul is going into this influential city center and Paul is going into the synagogues to get people out of them and Paul does I mean he he moves and he dismantles all these pillars of religion because a lot of the stuff that we do in church is just religion that's all it is We just have to be honest with ourselves and to say that there's a lot of things we do in church. We do it because we've always done it. There's a lot of things we do in church. We do because I grew up doing this. There's a lot of things we do in church. We do it because we don't know any other way. And so we get into this mundane daily activity. No power. No power at all. Nothing. Just Let's just do this. And, you know, if every now and then we can invite people into our little cult and come in and, you know, what do you think? Do you like what the pastor said? You, you, you like what the pastor said? Did you like, you did it? Okay. Don't worry. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I, I won't offend you anymore. I'm sorry if I invited you and you didn't like what the pastor said. Um, but I'm just going to go back to my little box. Okay. All right. We, we, we live these boxed lives 
And yet Paul goes in there and he dismantles all the pillars of religion. Because the church is not made up of weekly sermons. Sermons don't make the church. Even Sunday worship doesn't make a church a church. And Paul is, um, so Paul is pulling down all these things. And then we get here, right? And so these people, so these people run. They, 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 some people listened, others didn't. The ones that listened, they began to influence the city so much that they had to call Paul to Aeropagus to give a defense for the gospel. Because here's the thing, family, if you're not doing anything, no one's going to ask you to defend the gospel. There's nothing to defend if it's not influencing in any way. Yet the city now is buckling under the pressure of this grassroots movement that's called the Church of Jesus Christ. It's a grassroots movement that doesn't have a specific leader. But then Paul stands up as a voice in defense of the movement. Oh, babe, don't even go there, babe. Don't even go there, babe. Because if we want to just do Christianity to feel good and to be elevated in our status, we might as well just be Buddhist. But that's another conversation for another day. It's another conversation for another day. I'm getting to, I'm going somewhere, guys. So now, Paul influences them. City buckles to its knees. Paul defends it. That's where we hear the statement, in him we live and move and have our being. And so Paul says all of this shakes it up there were influencers even in that in that in that in that room in Aeropagus where all the great thinkers and all the great philosophers are hearing him some said hmm, he might be going somewhere with this others were like man this man's crazy but it was enough to pressure Paul out of the city Paul runs from the city and goes to Athens and he settles in Athens but watch this now. Paul has left the church in, in Thessalonica. People who were new to the faith, people who were new to the movement, but didn't have clear leadership. So these people are new to the movement, but they don't have a leader. They don't have a person. They're still immature in their faith. They're still trying to figure this thing out. And these people now are facing oppression. Paul can be a Paul knows how to apologize the text and so he can stand before the great thinkers. But now these new believers, they don't have the same apologetic as Paul. They they don't have the same strength that Paul has. They don't have the same power that Paul has. They don't they don't have the the, the astuteness. They weren't, they aren't as erudite as Paul is. They they're not as articulate as Paul is, and and so they can't break and defend their faith in the same way. And and so these new baby Christians do not have any leaders, and they're facing oppression. And Paul writes this letter to them to encourage them. And Paul writes this letter to encourage them. And he's speaking to a people. Whew. Are y'all catching this? Paul is speaking to a people who, are, who have been energized by the faith, but now have depleted in their energy. Who came into faith 
power. Man, this was, it was a powerful experience. But now, life is starting to hit them. They're being persecuted. They're being knocked down. They're being, they're being cussed out. They're being told that they're fools. They're being told that they're idiots. They're being told, this is where I'm going, fam. If you live off of just your moment of salvation, you will run out of energy. You will run out of power. You know that time when you came to Jesus? Remember that? Remember that day that you came to Jesus? You came to Jesus, but and it was so pure. It was so rich. It was so innocent. It was so real. Like it was so real. Just think about that. Reflect on that for a minute. How real that moment was. But then reflect on how life has progressed. And every day drew out the energy of your experience. Remember that time when when, when you had just come to faith in Christ? You weren't ashamed to preach the gospel. You weren't ashamed to share what happened to you. Ah, but it took somebody dissing you. And it just took a little bit out of you. Or it took that person you prayed for that wasn't healed. It took a little bit out of you. It, it was it, it was that, that one time when you couldn't understand why is it that you're going through what you're going through. Because I'm a Christian. Shouldn't life be getting better? Here's the thing, family. I just feel the presence of God even in the midst of this. Is that this letter was written to people. That's exactly right. Wow, Nyambi. Man, you guys are you guys are you guys know where the spirit is leading already. And the spirit is leading here. This letter was written to people who are running on E. This letter was written to people who are running on fumes. Paul showed up to Thessalonica, brought a movement, and then Paul left. And these people were riding off the energy of the movement. If you're on E, this letter was written for you. Paul writes this letter to encourage people who are running on E and what the Lord is really speaking on today is, is that you can't run off of a moment. You can't, you can't live off of a moment. You can't, you can't be driven by a moment. You can't continue to live on a moment because the devil comes and he pulls things away. It's, it's that, it's that person you prayed for that wasn't healed it's that it's that it's that job you prayed for that you didn't get it was that it was that that person who you loved and didn't love you back it was the the thing that you said that broke a relationship that you really wanted to hold on to and now you feel guilty and ashamed it was 
the time that you shared your faith with somebody you cared about and that person dissed you or even worse for you because there's somebody who's hearing it. It was a time when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you took your life seriously that you lost somebody you loved. You lost somebody you loved. Somebody you cared about. You lost friends. You lost family. And you're on E. It just kept drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing out. But here's the thing, family. God did not promise us a painless life. Oh, God did not promise you. He didn't promise you a perfect life. God isn't promising you a life without loss. God isn't promising you wealth and money. God does not promise you any of these things. And for some of us, we're mad at God for something he never promised. We're mad at him for something he never offered. He didn't say, I will give you a perfect life. He said, I will give you an abundant life. God does not promise us answers to every one of our prayers. You know, God, please do this because there are prayers that we've prayed that it's later on down the line we realize I should have never prayed that prayer. That we realize, man, I was crying. There's some stuff that we've cried about that now we're like, man, thank God I didn't get that. There's some people we prayed, there's some relationships we prayed to hold on to and we cried real tears. It took us months to heal. And then looking back, you're like, my God, thank you, Jesus. He did not work out. Thank you, Lord. She did not work out. Wow. Thank the Lord for that. Whoo. There are jobs we cried that we didn't get. And, and, and now we're realizing, man, I shouldn't have prayed for that job. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, God did not promise to answer every one of your prayers. God promised to give you an abundant life. An abundant life is not a life with more money. It's not a life with, with, with more kids. It's not a life with a perfect marriage. It's not a life with, with the perfect job and the perfect career and the perfect. That's not the life. As a matter of fact, if we're looking for that life, we don't see that with Paul. Paul has been beaten. He has suffered. He, he's gone through any, the worst of the worst. And yet Paul is living an abundant life. Because Paul's life has purpose. Paul has found contentment. Paul has found joy. And, and, and this joy didn't come from a moment. It didn't come from a moment. It came 
from a status that he has now in God. And what Paul is doing here to the church in Corinth, I know I can't do a full Bible study on this letter, but if I were to cliff note this letter is Paul is really speaking to a people who they got the idea of faith. And it sounded good and it was compelling because that's what thinkers do. Thinkers think their way into faith. Ah, but believers have to believe their way because there's no evidence of faith unless you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just give you a good feeling in the moment. The Holy Spirit changes your status. And when your status changes, your whole countenance changes, your whole perspective changes. And so Paul is encouraging them because in First Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not with the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you. The word of God is working in you. It's working in you. Notice it's not something you just get. It's something that's getting you. The word of God is taking root. And now that it has taken root, it's becoming something new and it's bearing fruit through you. It's not because I get it. It's because I believe it. Sometimes we try to get the word, but we don't let the word get us. We want to exegete the word, but we don't let the word exegete us. We want to um, expostulate the word, but we don't let the word expostulate us. And yet the word discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And what Paul is saying is, is your conversion didn't come out of deep wisdom or, or deep evidence or deep truth, but effectively the word that works in you. Paul is encouraging these people who had a moment. I want to make sure y'all see what's happening here. Paul is encouraging a people who had a moment with God, but now have not allowed the work to do the continual working in them. And they've been discouraged. They've been beat. They're being tried. They've lost friends. They're pariahs. This is a city where popularity was what was was paramount. And now in this context, Paul is talking to them and saying to them, this thing that you had was not because one day it made sense. The word hit you and revealed to you something supernatural. And I think today in America, we have the same, we, we, we have the same affliction that we're so busy trying to expostulate and exegete and understand the word from an intellectual level that we miss out on what the word is supposed to do. And then we wonder why I got it. But now for some reason, I'm so discouraged in my faith.
Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, um, he, he prays a prayer for the church. And Paul says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another just as we do. He says, now may the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Paul speaking to them that, that he looks forward to seeing them. But then in verse 13, he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God. You're not doing it. He's doing it in his word, establishing your hearts. He's establishing your heart. He establishes family. He's establishing your heart. He's not cultivating and curating your mind. He's establishing your heart. It's time to stop getting it. And it's time to start getting it. You know why a lot of people, why our faith is faltered? Our faith is faltered because we, either somebody sold us on a lie or somebody, or we sold ourselves on a lie. Somebody sold us on a lie, meaning they told you come to Jesus and life's going to be perfect or you sold yourself on that line to say now that I come to Jesus life's going to be great it's going to be perfect everything's going to be good God's going to heal me uh, my family's going to be perfect everything's going to be straight and everything's going to be good and for a lot of us we are right where the Thessalonians are we are right exactly where the Thessalonians are because they were probably sold on the idea that things were going to be better. And so Paul, who's not there to undergird them in their faith, in the immaturity, they're still capturing and holding on to an experience. And Paul writes this letter. This letter is for the person who had a moment and now you're not where you used to be. You're not where you used to be. Man, there was a time I, I, I believed in Jesus and I prayed and I didn't get what I asked for. Because I didn't get what I asked for. I either hate God or I choose not to know him. Because he can't be real if he doesn't answer my prayers. Oh, how backwards we are. Oh, how backwards we are in our thinking to believe that God is some genie who answers our prayers. That's all he's good for. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I, I, I'm, I can't say this enough. I can't say this enough, family. The Christian life is actually harder. It's not easier. Is it better? Yes. <laughs> but it's harder. The Christian life gives you purpose. Your purpose is not in the things you get. Your purpose is not in the things you 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 enjoy. Your purpose is not in the in the wife that you married. When you're a Christian, you don't say things like you complete me. I'm complete in Christ. 
when you're in Christ, you realize that I already have the kingdom. Everything else is added. You know, when you're in Christ, self-esteem doesn't become an issue anymore because Christ is in me. It's a status change. And for a lot of us, we're still trying to make God an idea to understand and rather a believing of a change in your status. Your status has changed. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, don't try to find comfort in this world. Nothing in this world is comfortable. I'm about to say something that's going to sound reckless. Oh my gosh, I'm over time. I'm over time. There's nothing in this world that's comfortable. Not a single thing. Somebody right now is probably thinking, well, what about those millionaires who get to live in those nice houses? Yeah, that's why they're, they're, that's why many of them are on prescription drugs. Drugs. Because while they have the comfort of the home that they live in, they do not have the comfort from within. They're still warring inside. They're successful, but they can't sleep. They're stressed. You know, there's no such thing as comfort outside of Christ. There's no such thing as comfort outside of Christ. No such thing. Not a single thing. I don't care how much money you got, how popular you are, how famous you are, how many rings you earn. If you're an athlete, um, it doesn't matter. There's no comfort outside of Christ. There is none. Oh, so you mean that when I'm in Christ then is my father won't pass away prematurely. No, I'm saying when your father passes away, and unexpectedly because I hear that there's somebody right now whose faith has been faltered because they prayed for their father's healing and because their father wasn't healed because their father wasn't healed now they're questioning who they are in Christ but this is not what God offers what he offers is is comfort Because your father's passing is painful. It's intended to be. You loved him. But even though you loved him and you're weeping, what Christ provides is his embrace. In the midst of that loss. The difference between someone in Christ and someone who isn't in Christ is when one's father's past, it's a loss. But for you, it isn't because you have the embrace of your father and you know that death is not the final answer. Christina, if that's you, may you find comfort because even though your faith is faltered, God's answer to your prayer is his presence. And it sometimes takes those moments of brokenness to truly experience the affection of God. Like the full embrace of God. I know there's an atheist on here right now. 
who hates God. You hate God because of the trauma of unmet expectation. Stay with me here. Don't want you to get angry because I love you regardless, no matter what turns out out of this. But for the atheist that's here, your hate for God is your unmet expectation. You had an expectation of God that didn't come from God. Oh, your hate from God came out of your deciding for yourself what was best for you. It was your unmet expectation. But let me give you a word. If you've been wrong before about your judgment, could you be wrong about what you expected from God? If you were wrong about what you expected God to be before, or if you were wrong about what you expected a person, if you have ever been wrong, is it possible that you could be wrong right now about what you expected from God? Because what you told yourself was that God was some floating guy in the sky who answers prayers to people. And yet God is not above you alone. He is within you. Is it possible that maybe what God offers is his comfort? What God offers is his embrace. Say that because I, I, I want to be led by the spirit here. Um, I'm not here to prove God to you. But maybe you need to change your expectations. I'm not here to offer you a better life. Sorry, a more comfortable life. I'm here to offer a better life. He says, I came that you may have life and to have it more abundantly. So now when I weep, I weep with joy. Because God is my father and he's my comforter. He comforts me in my time of weeping. Now when I sow in tears, I reap in joy. It's a, it's a different status in him. What if I told you that if you would just accept that maybe you've been wrong about your presuppositions about God and you would just invite him in. And I just want to encourage you just to invite him one more time that you would hear from him. Like hear from him. Irene, I want to pray for you right now. I'm sorry, I was going to close this out, but stick with me for a second. Um, I, I, want to, I want to pray for you right now. Uh, we're going to read 2 Thessalonians uh, on, on Monday. I want to say one thing before I pray for you. Paul is compelling them now by the by 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 the by what the by by what they should know, right? About this comfort that they have in the Lord, that their comfort is in the Lord, that the day of the Lord is coming, that their comfort doesn't come in the vicissitudes of this life. This life, there's nothing of value. All of it is vanity at the end of the day. And yet the purpose behind it and the richness behind the things of this life 
you can get through your awareness of who you are in Christ. And he says, now that you know this, he says, comfort each other in in first Thessalonians chapter five, comfort each other and edify one another. He says in verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. He's saying you can do now all these things with the confidence of who you are. 